everybody, how's it going? Thanks for tuning in. It's This Week in Mormons. I'm Jeff Openshaw. And I'm Devin Thorpe. And it's great to have all of you with us this week. We're thrilled to bring to you the greatest in Latter-day Saint news that you could ever possibly dream of. A lot of interesting random stuff this week. A bunch of temple news. The church dropped a whole bunch of temple information for groundbreakings and designs and things like that last Friday, so that's cool. Uh, obviously, some updates on Ukraine and what's being done there, what more can be done there, uh, and sort of, and also the situation in Russia is, is what it means for missionaries. Um Pat Robertson is a lunatic. Maybe we'll get to that. We'll see. Some clarity on BYU. Does it actually get federal funding? Who's to say? Uh, and some great information on uh, how to abandon prejudice, how to be a little more, a um, little greener with our meeting houses. All kinds of good stuff. And of course, Roots Tech happened over the end of last week and through the weekend. And we'll have a, a few things that might have come out of that. So it's going to be yeah. great. We're excited all of you are here. Please, we hope you'll go to thisweekinmormons.com and you can uh, get the the links to any of the articles we discuss on here, a transcript of this show, all that good stuff. And so lastly, a plug for our Patreon friends. Thanks to everyone on Patreon who supports the show. You keep the show going. So if you want to keep this show going, get over there right now while you're listening. Patreon.com slash This Week in Mormons. Sign up, put up like three bucks a month. Tremendous. And I will love you forever. Whoever is the newest patron this week, I will read a shout out to you next week on Humble Knee. That'll happen. And you will be famous the world over. <laughs> anyway, Devin, what's going on, man? How's life? How's Florida? Uh, life is good. Life is good. Uh, you know, I've been um, trying to uh, acquire a trailer, a camping trailer. I thought you did acquire that, a camping trailer. Uh, yeah, I've been wanting oh. to get one for a long time now. I've been talking about it for a while and I've been looking for one that I can tow with my Chevy Bolt. Sure. And, and sure. last week we got one. We brought nice. it home. I have the trailer in my garage. As you can imagine, I... A, a trailer small enough to be towed by a Chevy Bolt fits in the garage, so uh, we're excited. Is it actually a trailer, or is it one of those like pop-up tent trailers? Yeah, know, it's kind of a pop-up. It's a roast like long yeah. thing, and then it pops open into more. That's cool, though. Yeah, yeah. A little more so, camping than like a full kitchen inside or something. Yeah, like that. you know, I we've got a little fridge, a little sink, uh, and we'll probably get you know like a, a two burner stove thing in there. Yeah. That's cool. I yeah. guess the real benefit too, as far as range for, I'm, I'm assuming towing will ding the range on the bolts a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but at least you're in Florida, which is very flat. Yes. And you're not going to face, face any uphill challenges or depletion in that case. Yeah. Not, not uh, with our local efforts. You know, if we hit the road, we'll, we'll have to see how far we can go and what we hit, you know, when we go North into Georgia, but uh, Florida, it, you're right. It's pretty flat. It is pretty flat. That's cool, man. That's fun. Yeah. I have not been to Jacksonville, but I'm going to take your word for it. And, but I've yeah. been to Florida. I know how flat it is. I read some stat once. It was tongue in cheek, but I think it was true that the tallest mountain in Florida is Space Mountain at Disney World. <laughs> yeah, it, it may be. The, the tallest mountain in Florida, I think, is about 300 feet. So I don't know how tall Space Mountain is, but it might rival that. I don't think so. I don't know if the, oh, here we go. Britain Hill in Florida is 345 feet above sea level. I actually don't think Space yeah. Mountain's 345 feet above sea level. It's it's full, uh, what are they called? It's relief might be. <laughs> Sorry, I'm looking at Wikipedia now. Signs that say Florida's highest point. And it's just like a valley. And it's basically on the uh, Alabama border. Well, that's exciting, yeah. Florida. Congratulations to everyone. Yeah. Good, good times. Cool. Well, good to yeah. Well, it's been a good show. Nice to be able to tune Yeah, in. well, it's Whatever. been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's really a joy to be with you every week. Uh -huh. Whenever, I mean, when my week comes up. Yeah, when it happens, when your number yeah. comes up. Yeah. Things get real. <laughs> and it's, Thanks for uh, having me. Oh, it's always good to have you. We'll here, see definitely. you next time. We should. Okay. Well, all right, folks. <laughs> you, you heard it here first. <laughs> so, obviously, a lot has been going on in the world. I think some of the shock of the Ukraine situation. At least that part of it's worn off, at least for me, you know, that like the, the pressing need, like I had, and I haven't really recorded since, since all this really went down to all of you, uh, you know, I was last almost two weeks ago now, but I was just like glued to Twitter. That's the only place you had updates. You had journalists on the ground and a couple of people trying to get information out there. And I was, you know, I didn't get much sleep. I was up a bunch of the night just trying to see what was going on. At least that part of it subsided a little bit and I can kind of check in for more regular news, but, uh, 
yeah, the situation in Ukraine is definitely, gosh, it's just so heartbreaking. It's it's like yeah. nothing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I've, I've watched, you know, for the past eight years, you've had the seizure of Crimea. You've had Russian troops and Russian-backed, quote-unquote, separatists active in the Donbass and eastern Ukraine. That's been going on. Uh, and, and like eight years ago, I remember being like, oh, geez, like what is happening right now with, with the, the, the crisis with Crimea and all that. But now this is like nothing I've ever seen. None of us have seen really in a very long time one country with its troops from that country, no proxy wars, no anything else, actually go in and say, I am invading country next door and I'm doing what I want. We've seen a lot of civil strife. We've seen... Obviously, you've seen the United States go into some countries and say, you know, be nice or we're going to bring democracy to you, which we've done uh, to, to mixed results. But still, even that's different than like a neighboring thing, because this is like literally Putin is trying to wipe Ukraine off the map and just absorb it into Russia. It's not. And he is also doing what in many ways the U.S. has done very differently. I don't condone it, but he's trying to force regime change in Ukraine and have something more friendlier to his interests. Uh, so obviously there, you, yes, you could say there are many actors around the world who have been guilty of trying to force regime change in different countries. That's totally fair. But uh, anyway, I, I know I could ramp, I could do the whole show on just talking about Ukraine, Devin, I, and uh, and do yeah, nothing it, on the Latter-day Saint front, <laughs> just talk it, about the issues, but it's something. It's extremely painful, but it is pleasing to see organizations, uh, including the church, step up to organize relief efforts. And what I love about the church participating in that effort, and they're not the only ones, I want to be clear uh, sure. about that, but but they're among those who have permanent infrastructure and volunteers and ordinary people on the ground in Europe. So as people flow into Poland, there are Mormons there who yeah. can help. Right and can provide immediate relief. Uh, the the whole humanitarian structure of the church can be activated to support that community, and that's that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, and there are other organizations, like I say, that are similarly situated. I, like uh, Rotary is a similar organization, mm-hmm. global in scope, local people on the ground. But but I love to see organizations like the church engaging in that way to, to provide relief because, I mean, when you try to figure out where are you going to put 1.7 million people who showed up over 12 days, uh, we got some work to do. Uh, this is not going to take care of itself, you know, but with, with uh, just the UNHCR working on it, right? It's going to take right. all hands on deck. And it could be, you know, folks are saying that this this tide could quickly get to four or five million people, uh, you know, before summer. I mean, it just yeah. Th- I mean, there Ukraine, are a lot has, of people Ukraine has forty million people. Like this isn't Kiev is about three million. That's just that's Kiev. I mean, there's a whole yeah. lot of other country out there, um, and it's absolutely tragic. I'm glad too. Like you said, we're not the only ones involved, but I'm glad we are involved. Uh, yeah. like, why would we not be? But we've been trying to be very actively engaged in providing relief which is good. That's been one of the names of one of our core organizations, right? Relief yeah. um, to the people. And of course the church is not, you know, we're not sending javelin missiles. Uh, as far as I'm aware, I don't think we have those. And I don't think those are part of the hedge funds. I don't think they are. For, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not sure, but that's, that's not our job, but we can at least provide relief. Obviously the church's response has to be in many ways neutral. I've sort of made peace with this. I was among many when the church is the church. I know the sisters talked about this a bit last week. The church issued the statement when the Russia's invasion started. Uh, it was it read very much like it went through lawyers first and then some marketing people, and that was it. It didn't even name the, anyone involved. It just said we pray for an end to the ar- the armed conflict, and you could have swapped that out for any armed conflict around the world. It didn't it didn't say if it was civil strife or anything else. There was very yeah. little. It did thankfully and rightfully point to the fact that there's peace in Christ and we hope people can find that and think about peace and we care about peace. And the church has a long history of pushing for peace. You should see some of the things released by the church during World War II, during other skirm- other skirmishes, other minor skirmishes, as Joe Biden would say, right? minor <laughs> incursions. Yeah. But the church has been very outspoken about wanting peace. And so for many, this was frustrating. And I, I admit I found myself among them when this was first released. So I was like, Okay, I get it. Like we care about our relationship with Russia. I get it. But the statement didn't even say like 
use the word Ukraine anywhere in it. I'll still stand by yeah. that. You could at least name the location that's happening. Yeah, yeah. And it really reads like we are very, very afraid of upsetting Russia. And I get it. We have kind of a tenuous relationship there at best right now, ever since Russia enacted their little uh, so-called anti-terrorism law that greatly prohibits and restricts not just the way our our volunteers, quote unquote, can function in Russia, just the way members yeah. can even worship in Russia. I have to imagine this plays a factor in why that we still haven't heard about where the temple is going to go in Russia that was announced nearly four years ago. Uh, like, I get it. We have a, a a troubling and complicated relationship with that country right now, and we don't want to imperil the safety or the or what freedom to worship the members of the church there still do have. And so I understand yes. why the church say, even even if it's factual, even saying. Russia invaded Ukraine, which that is a that's a neutral statement, okay? Because Ukraine did not invade Russia. Russia right. invaded Ukraine. You can go back and forth about the reasons for things or whatever else it might be, but like that's a fair statement. But I, so I was frustrated. But like I get it. The church is not a democratization NGO. I mean, if you really look at how many places the church functions in that are not functional democracies, but are borderline autocracies or full on it's, 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 it's all over the place. I mean, if you look at like West Africa. The church is blowing China? up the West. Yeah, China. Well, and China's even something else. It's, you know, like off the books in a way in China. West Africa is a great example. West Africa, um, you hear about membership surging all over the place. We've announced many temples in the region. It's wonderful. But of all these West African nations, basically only Ghana is the one that is like a functional pluralistic democracy. All the other ones are flawed democracies or potentially worse than that. The church's priority is to function in a country and bring people the opportunity to hear the restored gospel of Jesus Christ and make covenants that can return them and exalt them and things like that, right? That's our job as a church. On the flip side, our job as a church can be to, uh, you know, like call stuff out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, know, it, it is it frustrating. And I think, I think they're, you're absolutely right. I think about uh, some of the things that went on during the Cold War and even during World War II the church did a lot of things uh, that could be described as appeasing uh, to Hitler and to um, to the uh, Soviet Union after the after World War II, um, and yet it gets back to what you're talking about. Their goal yeah. wasn't to play a role in establishing uh, democracy. Uh, their role isn't even that of the UN in terms of trying to bring peace. Their the role is to help individuals come closer to Christ. Now, uh, it is frustrating at times. I think for a lot of us that the church doesn't uh, take a more political, more active role sometimes in things where we see clear black and whites. Uh, but maybe maybe it's absence from those debates on 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 you know on mass in, in the whole aggregation of history is is better than not uh, but uh well i mean you can look at it this way during the cold war it was not difficult to find general authorities speak out very openly against the soviet union from the pulpit and general conference uh one of their names was ezra tap benson perhaps more than others yeah. but this yeah. but this he wasn't alone okay yeah, but the big difference was we didn't have like members and missionaries in those countries back then. It wasn't like that. I mean, members missionaries came to Ukraine in 1990. Soviet Union had yet to fall, and we dedicated the country for the preaching of the gospel in September of 1991. The Soviet Union fell apart in uh, the day after Christmas of 1991. Is when everything everything completely fell apart, and when Ukraine became like totally totally independent. But that's the big difference. It's really easy to be totally against a barbaric totalitarian whatever regime when you don't have members of the church to be affected more or less uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure there have been members at some point uh i should know well enough yeah. right but like probably in, well, like like in, in, in imperial uh, russia probably had members at some point things like right but yeah. and there are a lot of members in east germany that's and there were, where i think the most the, and, the biggest the Czech, block of church yeah. You know, during the yeah. Cold War, the and Czechoslovakia had members who wrote out the entire Cold War and did it quietly. Yeah. Like we have examples of that, of course. So, like we get it, but it was a lot easier back then to pick on yeah. a country. But I still can't help but feel like there's still good and evil. You know, it's almost like what it, yeah. if you picture you've got a Benedai about ready to be burned at the stake, 
And like, what if we issue a statement and say, yeah, but there's nice people on both sides. You <laughs> yeah, know, that's right. like, it's, <laughs> it feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? A little yeah, bit. And so yeah, I don't want to be clear. Everybody, yeah. I think Devin and I are both on the same page where we totally understand that the church walks a fine line here and its priority is to function. But sometimes you want to say, you know, like do what is right, let the consequence follow and just like straight up condemn what is happening unjustly. Even if the church yeah. doesn't want to wade in on what is a geopolitical matter, you yeah. know? So, uh, but even after like 9-11, at least they issued a statement that said like, we pray for President Bush. You know, they, they at least named some people. Yeah. This is this is at that level, you know, for Ukraine. It's a big deal. And we don't, and of course, we don't all want to get wrapped into a World War III. That would be no. really bad. And if, no. if I can't, can I put on my political science hat briefly? Yeah, please okay. do. There's a lot of talk about why we don't have a no-fly zone. A lot of Americans, they pulled Americans. Americans are like overwhelmingly in favor of establishing a no-fly zone in Ukraine. So the issue here, ladies and gentlemen, is a no-fly zone doesn't mean we like sign an edict and say there will be no flying over Ukraine and everyone gets involved. Yeah. A no-fly zone means NATO planes patrol Ukrainian airspace and scrub it of Russians and scrub like, it of shoot, Russian anti-air systems. Yes. It's direct engagement with an enemy. We call it a no-fly zone, but what it really means is a like my fly zone. Because do you think like, I mean, maybe Ukrainian planes would play ball and not take off and then pick off Russians, but it's... It's about superiority in the air domain, and uh, yeah. it is not. And we're not ready to put like actual NATO planes against Russian forces because then that is war with NATO and Russia. And that's yeah, just, yeah. It's we we cannot go there. Uh, I just want people. We to cannot have a shooting war with a country that has nuclear weapons. That's what, and that is the reason why if people that's are wondering, for the most part, why why NATO is being very delicate with the way they do things. It's because of that. Yeah. I mean, like we had no problem in the nineties, just bombing Serbia after, um, you know, all the atrocities against ethnic Albanians. Right. Like it was like, it was Serbia. Sure. They're Russian. They're Russia's ally back in the nineties, but it's like, it's Serbia. They don't have nukes. They have an underdeveloped military. Yeah. They got in a couple shots against us. Like when they shot down an F one seventeen. but for the most part, like we've got this, but you don't go up against, Russia. You can't. Like yeah. We just can't. It's way more complicated. It's really frustrating. I think a lot of us would love love that idea of a no-fly zone. Uh, some of us want to see, you know, drones used, all kinds of different things. But the minute we start shooting at them, they shoot right back at us. And and like you say, you can't have a no-fly zone without shooting. If you don't enforce it, it doesn't exist. And to enforce it, you got to shoot what you got to shoot your guns. Isn't it um it's kind of funny though the way all these things can work because like we've we've seen publicly the U.S. or NATO at least they want to send they want Poland to supply Ukrainians with Polish jets and then we basically like reimburse the Polish and give them other jets is kind of what they're saying. I just I love the the funny gamesmanship in these situations where it's like sort of Russia like knows, Russia knows this is happening but Russia's like all right that's cool it's not NATO attacking us even if you're like you're just letting the Ukrainians borrow the car and that's fine. I think the the optics of those sorts of things are just just very yes. curious to me. It reminds me uh, of uh, of uh, FDR's lend lease program when Congress wouldn't uh, support money for uh, weapons for the UK during yeah. uh, World War II. He developed a lend lease program where we would give them. I think it even included ammo that we loaned oh, yeah. them ammo yes, that they yes. would theoretically return after oh, yeah. the war, right? Or it's like when you want to, you know, arm the Contras in Central America and, you know, you're Ronald Reagan and what do you do? You just get stuff. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so anyway, sorry, we're not to digress too much. There are some other stories we've talked about. Uh, American volunteers, we, I referenced missionaries a few minutes ago. We call them volunteers in Russia. They're not allowed to be called missionaries. All the American ones are gone. They, the church yanked them out kind of quietly. I'm sure you saw they they took them out of Ukraine as well back in January. But now all the ones who were in Russia, which surprisingly was not that many. The interesting thing here to read is how much we've clearly scaled back how many Americans were in Russia at the time. Because as of mid-February, uh, this is according to church spokesman Sam Penrod, 50 young volunteers were taking a, took assignments outside of Russia. Russia is a big country. It has consolidated some like missions in recent years, but still like spread across all of our work in Russia, just 50 Americans. That tells you how much we've probably been pulling in from other countries, ideally, and sending citizens of uh, the United States elsewhere. So yeah. so that's one thing. Uh, although another one I want to bring up real quick that I was just very touched by, and then we can 
we can leave Ukraine. The BYU Singers did something very, very cool. They got members from the different BYU choirs and uh, somewhere on BYU's campus, and they sang a Ukrainian language version of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And it's they, they actually had Ukrainian speakers help them with pronunciation before they did it. It's just a simple video they posted on their Facebook page. But I thought this was just a it was a very classy move and very moving. Um, you know, they didn't get all the way up through like, here I raise my Ebenezer. It wasn't like the full thing, which would have been even cooler, but just like, I mean, good for them. How very, very moving for them to do that. And it was beautiful. It's amazing to hear the quality of those voices in that, in that timber that you expect to hear, but then hear them singing in Ukrainian, this tune that many of us love, you know, probably the most, at this point, the most famous non-hymn book hymn, I think, that, that we hear. And so I just wanted to tip my hat to the the singers there over at, uh, at BYU. Yeah, Good for cool. them. Good for them. Well, I was pleased to see this week that uh, Elder Cook uh, gave, uh, you know, gave an official recognition from the church to Senator, uh, retired Senator Joseph Lieberman, uh, former vice the, presidential candidate, Joe Lieberman, almost vice right. president, Joe Lieberman. Yeah. He, they gave him the visionary leadership award. He, uh, um, yeah. So, uh, that was kind of cool. I, I worked in the U S Senate way back in the olden days. In fact, so I was there when he was a freshman Senator, uh, back in the 80s and early 90s. And uh, he was a very well-respected guy on both sides of the aisle. Uh, you know, really one of the people who served in, I think, in either house with the most class, the most integrity. Uh, and and he, he wasn't an abrasive. You know, there are a few people that are, you know, very uh, honest integrity is a word you do to describe them, but sometimes you'd also describe them as maybe being bristly or, mm-hmm. or a bit prickly, but not Joe Lieberman. He was very gracious and well-loved on both sides. So it was great to see him recognized for this. Do, do we have any idea why they singled out Joseph Lieberman? Oh, it's about religion. Yeah. So it's word, the yeah. uh, religious freedom. And so uh, he, of course, is a, a, a member of the faith, you know, faithful member of the Jewish faith. and. Uh, practicing. And so he has had a history of uh, trying to protect religious rights in, in the United States and elsewhere. And uh, so I think it's that, that it's that history that uh, they singled him out for, but uh, a very, a, a very important reminder, you know, that, you know, just tonight in our conversation, uh, we sometimes take our religious freedom for granted here in the United States because oh, yeah. it is in the constitution and it's so well protected. But uh, in Russia, uh, in China, uh, places I have been, spent a lot of time in both places. Uh, yeah, it's it's not like this. Uh, it's very different. It's a different religion. Beast, is huh? tightly controlled and almost persecuted, especially in Russia. Yeah, and, I mean, and and even and, in China, in China, in both in both countries. Really, I mean, think about all this t- talk about uh, the the genocide of the Uyghur people yeah. in. In China, or, that's or about Muslim. religion, right? Because those Uyghurs are Muslims. They're Muslim, and, and they're so, tur- and they're Turkic. They're also not Han Chinese, so that's another yeah. another issue. Yeah. Yes, but I I, I think uh, it's fair to think of that as primarily a uh, a religious issue. The Chinese yeah. really don't like religion, uh, and it is somewhat miraculous that there are thousands and thousands of practicing Latter Day Saints in in China, uh, despite that. But uh, Yes, the situation. Uh, um, you know the, the the rights we have here in the United States are precious and to be revered. Yeah, and I think, like you said, it's easy to forget that. You know, we yeah. we squabble over interesting kind of minutia of religious freedom here in the U.S., and that's almost a luxury to do so. And yeah. one thing that does frustrate me sometimes is we'll have a lot. There will always be talks about religious freedom in general conference. Um, if there was a drinking game, see how often Elder Rasban says those words during his next conference talk. <laughs> but he will. I promise it'll happen. Yeah. But um, like you bring up Russia and it's another thing to think about with the war with Ukraine. We should have linked to it. There was a great, 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 great piece over at Religion News talking about how this whole war isn't just about like straight up geopolitics or the glory of formerly imperialist Russia. There's, there is a religious element to it because Putin has very much weaponized the Russian Orthodox Church 
and made it so Russian Orthodoxy is a, a core component of Russian identity um, at the expense of many other faiths, which is all the more ironic because Russia itself, if you look at a map of Russia, that country ain't like all just Russians who are Orthodox people. I mean, other than in the Caucasus region, most people are Muslims and they're a, and they speak different languages. They don't speak Russian as their they, they know Russian because of history, but you know it's it's Dagestan and Ingushetia and Chechnya and all those places that you've heard of. You've got Kalmykia, which is the only Buddhist part of Europe. That's a fun little bit of trivia, folks. If you want to bring that one home, the Kalmyks are different people. Um, Tatarstan are. Tatar people who are Muslims as well. And the Kazan is one of the largest cities in Russia. It's funny. You don't hear about much as much of that. Um, and that like, they're okay being Russians, but like attacking somewhere like Ukraine, where the Ukrainian Orthodox church has broken off and tried to be autocephalous. And that these are also like pain points uh, for what's going on over there. So sorry, yeah. I, I digress a wee bit, but you're right. You're really right. We should not take our religious freedom for granted because um, I can go to church every Sunday. And the worst thing that happens to me is they say, Hey, you've needed to wear a mask for a little while. Oh, boo-hoo. Like my life yeah. is going on. Yeah. It's been okay. Right. It, hasn't, it hasn't like encumbered my actual freedom to worship. And uh, speaking a little bit of of the old COVID, ob- we have less and less news with COVID because like, we, you know, obviously the pandemic's just over. That's it. We're done. <laughs> but I think, you know, it, it, I laugh when you say that, but I guess uh, in fairness, the CDC is now saying, in fact, that's what were, was happening, right? That's, uh, that's what's happening. WHO's, we, we're transitioning from, from it, COVID's not over, but the pandemic is over and we're, we're transitioning into an endemic phase of the That's disease. That's the hope. But that's the one thing to remember though, is no one has actually declared COVID endemic yet. And I don't think we're really there. I mean, a lot of hospitalization yeah. rates are still as high as they were or higher than they were like in July of last year when we were happy about vaccines, but it wasn't out of the woods completely. But now more people are vaccinated. Other people have been infected. So hopefully it holds, you know, I'm hopeful like everybody else. And uh, as part of that, the church has announced kind of quietly that all the church history sites that had been open since May, June of last year, but with restrictions, restricted hours, uh, COVID related safety measures, they are now all reopened. Uh, just as normal as it was pre-pandemic. So hours are the same, Group larger groups can be accommodated, uh, no need to wear masks. So that's cool. You know, you can go, if you're going to Palmyra, you can go tour the Grandin building now, which is indoors, and see the history of the Book of Mormon printing. And, and that's, that's, uh, that's good. For fun, just for, sincerely, for some fun, because we've talked about how the CDC in the United States is now ranking, they've got this new county ranking tool. Basically, your county your county can be ranked low, medium, or high as far as COVID risk. Low means you can like, you don't really need to worry about wearing a mask indoors. The chance of transmission is low. Good, good, good. Medium is basically the same, except they encourage you to talk to your physician if you have concerns about your own health or like, you know, kind of case by case. High means they actually still recommend wearing a mask indoors in a highly a high county. So I only bring this up because it's kind of funny because um, a lot of the church history sites, I dare say a plurality, perhaps even a majority of them are currently in high counties. I'm hopeful that won't mean much because they're also in very rural areas in general. I mean, there's not a lot around them, but like if you're going to Mormon Battalion Visitor Center in San Diego, San Diego County is still rate high. If you're in Jackson County, Missouri, to go to Independence Visitor Center, high. Liberty Jail, high. Hans Mill, high. The Far West Temple site in Caldwell County, this one's great because I've been there a few times. Um, unless you, for some reason, had a party on the grounds, I don't see what would happen, even though it's high, because it's just like off a little highway, and there it is, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. Anyway, the Grandin building that I mentioned, like Palmyra is high. It's For me, it's a little amusing because we're like, oh, you don't need to wear a mask, even though CDC says... You might still consider it indoors, at least in some of these these places. A lot of places, like I'm sure going to, you know, Martin's Cove Mormon Trail site in Wyoming is probably outdoors for the most part. So whoop de doo. But don't go to that independent. If you go to the Independence Visitor Center, call them out, people. Say, hey, this is a high county. This is Jackson. What are you doing there, old people? Come on. Yeah, that's all. But either way, it's good news. You can visit church history stuff, and uh, yeah. that's fine. Well, uh, this week, uh, moving on just a little bit, the church uh, announced that it is putting more solar panels on buildings in uh, Australia and in other, elsewhere in the South Pacific, which Very cool. is cool. And it, it reminds us that it has put solar panels on a few other buildings 
Um, I find this wonderful. Uh, I'm thrilled. I'm excited. Uh, but I can't say all of this without expressing just a little bit of disappointment that we're slow in getting there. Uh, the church has all of the right language. Uh, you know, God has given us all we have. So we have an obligation to use these resources wisely and to respect the earth. Uh, you know, church spokesman said, uh, yeah, and that's been true for a long time. And solar panels have been a thing since we put them on a, a, a chapel in Farmington 12 years ago. Yeah, it has been uh, a little while. So I'm hoping this is the beginning of an acceleration of greenifying these chapels uh, around the world. I mean, we've got and a I lot of rooftops. As part of that, I guess Arizona comes to mind, and I might be speaking out of turn. I don't think I am, though. Solar is one component of it, but isn't the church also trying to be more proactive and also landscaping more appropriate for the climate? So if you're in Arizona, you like like a lot, you might have just more you know gravel and rock features and and uh, yeah. flora that is more appropriate for where you are rather than a very heartily watered lawn that has no natural business yeah. being there. I believe they're doing that as well, which is good. That's being good yeah. steward. Yeah. The and they, and they, the article talks about, uh, in this articles here we're looking at is in the church news, talks also about the fact that since the 1950s, the church has been thoughtful about uh, building materials, especially focused on making sure that buildings are well insulated. Uh, hey oh, unless you're building one of President Hinckley's mini temples in the South. Didn't, <laughs> I didn't think those ones through. But that's oh, no. <laughs> well, I, you know, they kind of, they had to be rebuilt. You know, if you, that's what they, they were rebuilt from the ground up because they had rot and mold and problems. Like oh, that. wow. It was real. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Devin. That's all right. No, that's good. We need to move on. We got a lot of stuff yet, yet to We chat don't have about. to cover. This is not a show where we have to cover every single thing. We we go where the mood takes us, right? Okay, that's, good. that's how it good. is. But yeah. uh, a quick handful of temple updates that we hinted at. So I said the church dropped a few things. First of all, the Ephraim temple, uh, re- the design has been released. Ephraim is kind of smack dab in the middle of Utah. Uh, for context, this is the temple the church announced in May of last year and did so during the saga that was starting. It was like ongoing this time last year around the Manti Utah temple. And if you're newer to the show or missed this, the issue was the original plan for the Manti temple was to gut it effectively, remove the historic murals, no longer be a live endowment session. It was one of two temples that even offered that remaining in the church. And just set up a bunch of like single rooms, improve capacity, all those sorts of things. Basically, take out everything that was historic in the temple and replace it with modern conveniences to make it easier to just do the endowment like you do everywhere else. Uh, In terms of efficacy, makes total sense. In terms of caring about preserving the historical record of Latter-day Saints, it made no sense. And people were actually pretty upset about this. And there were like, there were, you know, change.orgs and campaigns and letters written in. And Salt Lake went, did a couple of rounds here for at first saying like, well, maybe we'll look into something we can do. And then they said, well, maybe we'll actually preserve the Minerva Tiger murals and we'll put them in the church history library. And like, okay, that's cool. Eventually got to the point the church said, here's what we're going to do. We'll preserve the murals in the temple instead. We're still going to make the temple so it uh, has modern, the slideshow now, right? No more live session. Um, and we'll change it like that, but we're going to leave the temple more alone otherwise. So the issue here was capacity, arguing that they, the Manti Temple just can't, because of it being a live progressive endowment, could not handle as many people, which is true, though they're not as efficient for that sense. So instead, the church announced a temple in Ephraim up the road, which is where Snow College is. It's like the largest settlement. It's probably, I mean, it's like 10 or 15 minutes up the road from Manti, if my memory serves. And right over by Snow College, they're going to build a temple there. Shockingly, not 80,000 square feet like all the Utah ones. This one's only going to be 39,000 square feet. Uh, four instruction rooms, three ceiling rooms, one baptistry. Looks like two floors to me. And uh, they just, they released the drawing. That's all we have, the rendering. We don't necessarily have the groundbreak or anything like that, but uh, that's a thing. It looks nice. Cool design. I'm okay with it. You know, I don't have anything else to say about that one, really. Uh, other temple ones update real quick. The Cape Verde Temple. Cape Verde is an African archipelago nation. I've decided archipelagic is an adjective I can use. Instead of islands <laughs> off the coast of Western, of Western Africa, um, very small temple, but they've announced the open house dates and the dedication date for this temple, which is pretty cool because this one was only announced, I think in, uh, I want to say what, 2018? 
I mean, it's they've moved very quickly on this one, actually, com- comparatively. It was announced in October 2018. They broke ground in May 2019, and it will be dedicated on Sunday, June 19th. So wow. That's, a, that's no Rome temple. Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty quick. Pretty good Pretty what good did speed. Rome take? Like 14 years? The hard thing with Rome is it took a long time to break ground, and then they just kind of dragged for a long time actual construction. Because other temples they've announced, yeah. like the one in Ukraine, and then just not they announced it and then they didn't touch it for like eight or nine years actually building it. But then when they built it, it was, you know, three years like normal. So yeah, it's gone up very quickly. Great for the saints of Cape Verde. There's like four stakes there. Church is robust. The saints are currently assigned to the Lisbon Portugal temple and presumably they will be assigned to their own temple. It's going to be very tiny too, less than 9,000 square feet of temple, but that serves their needs, which yeah. is great. Yeah. All right, it's Devin, the I'm sorry. Not the, uh, not the, not the uh, structure that matters. Exactly. And uh, lastly, Devin, if you'll indulge me, one more Please. other bit of temple news that also came out on the Friday. They've announced the groundbreaking date for three other temples, the Smithfield, Utah Temple, the Burley, Idaho Temple, and the temple for yours truly where I grew up, Yorba Linda, California, which has made me very excited. Uh, they've got they got the dates for all three. Your Belinda's going to happen in... Uh, did I even put the date in the article? I probably just like skipped the most important thing. Saturday, June 18th, they're going to break ground for that one, demolish the meeting house, build the temple there. Uh, the one in Smithfield, Utah, looks kind of like the one in Ephraim, just more stately, larger, taller, and you know about 80,000 square feet. Uh, Smithfield's in Cache Valley. We long talked about there potentially being a second temple in Cache Valley with the Logan Temple is famously overpacked. Even, even without COVID restrictions. So uh, on June 18th, 2022, you will have uh, Elder Quentin L. Cook and Elder Gary E. Stevenson will be there at the groundbreaking for that temple. And the temple in Burley, Idaho is going to be underway, about 40,000 square feet. Burley is kind of close to Twin Falls, and many people were were intrigued when the church announced a temple there because it's not too far from Twin Falls. And as the sister said, Burley was nothing more than a place to get gas in one of their podcasts. Yeah. But they get a temple and that's great. So uh, groundbreaking is all around. Another fun thing I learned from this is I admit I was humbled. Okay. I had a good experience here, Devin. I um, instantly thought, oh, of course, the temple in Utah is going to have two apostles show up for the groundbreaking. Of course. And then the temple in Burley is going to have an Elder Nielsen of the presidency of the 70. And of course, my lowly or Belinda temple Let's we'll have the the president of the North America West area who's in the 70, right? You're thinking like, of course, they send out the real cavalry for the Utah one. Why wouldn't they? Utah favoritism. Until I remembered President Nelson's words that he said for dedications, he likes to let mem- different members of the 12 go and do this. He's far less concerned about himself dedicating these temples. He wants the 12 to have these experiences. And I thought to myself, maybe that also plays into groundbreakings and that can be emotionally resonant for all of them. And sure enough, Elder Cook, born and raised in uh, the Logan area, spent a lot of his life in the Bay Area in California, but he went to Utah State University, has a lot of experience there. Elder Stevenson was born and raised in Cache Valley. Immediately, I was humbled. Elder Nielsen, who will oversee Burley, Idaho, was born in Burley, Idaho, so that's important to him. And even Elder uh, Clegg, I believe, who's going to be doing, Elder Bragg, sorry, uh, who's going to be presiding over the Orlando Temple, was born and raised in Los Angeles. So everyone, just a good reminder to me, you can make snap judgments and then be reminded that there actually might be something more going on. So I appreciate that and appreciated the chance to learn. Thank you. Everybody. Yes. Well, very cool. You know, um, it, it is exciting to see the the temples opening up around the world. Um, it, it is just a wonderful sign of the the growth and maturation of the church. Yeah. Um, I I thought it was really interesting uh, this week. Uh, by common consent, published a uh, an analysis of federal funding for the various Brigham Young University campuses. Uh, Michael Austin wrote this piece for. Wait, a minute. I'd heard they don't get federal money. That's why they can do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I, I think there is uh, a, a naive group of people out there who really believe that. Uh, and then there's a, this counter uh, argument of just slightly less naive people who think that because uh, BYU gets, in fact, a lot of federal money, uh, some indirectly grants made to students who pay the grant money to BYU, in effect. 
uh, it actually comes through BYU, so it's more direct than I'm making it sound. And then, right. uh, of course, there's research grants. BYU doesn't get a lot of that money by comparison with, say, the University of Utah up the road, but they sure. get some federal grant money for that. And so it adds up to hundreds of millions of dollars. And uh, so, you know, it's interesting why we're having this discussion, though. And I, I want to to, to bring this back to a little bit of direct context. And, and it, it comes to quite specifically this year, uh, students at BYU uh, complained uh, about uh, the way LGBTQ students were being treated at BYU mm-hmm. um, and uh, under Title IX. And the federal government, the Department of Education came in and did a quick look at uh, the nature of the complaints conducted, I think what even they acknowledged was an investigation. It was very short. Within just a few weeks, they they said, yeah, it's it's all copacetic. Um, BYU uh, was the first university in the country to establish uh, kind of a, a rules of the game that largely exempted BYU from these kinds of rules uh, because of the religious nature of the school. And since many other schools that are religiously based have done the same kinds of things. Oh, so we are trailblazers. Is, yeah, yeah, it's a longstanding practice. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's important to note that, yes, because of this money, Title IX applies to BYU and the federal government having no incentive to give BYU a pass it doesn't deserve has looked specifically at the practices and the law and concluded all is well. Um, I think it's okay to, to have differing views than the, than the federal governments at, at this time. But I think that the bottom line is, uh, you know, the folks at BICOM and consent are right. There's a lot of federal money there and that's why BYU is subject to some regulation. But uh, the federal government has recently taken a look very specifically at what many of us would think of as its worst behaviors. And the federal government said, it's all good. You know, and even if like the federal government was saying, like, we don't love what we're seeing, they're talking about compliance with Title IX. And they're saying you have a religious exemption. You haven't violated as far as we're aware. You know, you can make the moral case or other cases all day long. But as far as the yep. federal government's concerned, as you said. Oh goodness. What else do I touch on here, Devin, right now? Hey, because because, you know, because it's the Tribune and Peggy Fletcher Stack is Peggy Fletcher Stack. Headline Mormon Stories podcaster John DeLynn makes two hundred and thirty six thousand dollars a year from his nonprofit. Is that too much? Like, I don't know. I mean, if you start a like even if I don't like what's going on, if you start a business and it's successful, even if it's a nonprofit, I mean there's a lot of people who run sizable nonprofits, executives who make money similar to that. Yeah. Though I would say for the size of Mormon Stories or the Mormon Open Stories Foundation, which gets a lot of its most like its money from donations in, in uh you know, in twenty nineteen they had four hundred and sixty four thousand dollars in donations to keep it running, which is a lot of money for sure. But if that is your revenue and that's solely your revenue and half of that revenue is going to your founder and CEO, I mean, I don't know how many other organizations want to part with half of their revenue stream directly to the boss. Yeah. that th- In that it's, sense, it could seem like a lot. Because like I know a lot of people who yeah. work in the nonprofit, the association space, and their top executives are well compensated. But these are also firms where we're talking multi-million dollars that they're rolling through every year right. in the budget. Right. You know, I don't know what President Nelson makes, and he has a variety of is a coterie of aides and all these things. So it's hard to make apples to apples. But I yeah, suspect that his allowance, salary, however he's compensated, is probably pretty close to that. Uh, and so, if you it because of what John does, that is in a way a fair comparison. So he's earning what I'm going to call a comparable amount to President Nelson. Uh, President Nelson runs an organization that, among other things, has uh, a balance sheet with $100 billion on it. And 
has you know revenue on the order of seven billion if rumors are to be believed uh so yeah i think uh I, you know I, I think if you make that comparison john looks like he's doing all right oh he's doing um, fine i mean the man lives in cash valley and if you're making 200 i'm utah's housing bubble notwithstanding still if you're making 240 grand a year in cash valley i think you're uh you're doing, you're all, doing right. all right. One thing I he, found he's not worried about where to get his groceries. New, no. but this has ballooned a lot. I mean, we talked about John Dolan's salary because they would publish their um, the Open Stories Foundation's budget and expenditures as a nonprofit every year. There was a stretch when they didn't do it, and it raised a lot of eyebrows. Everyone's like, "What yeah. are they being cagey about now?" Um, and we saw that back then. Yeah, Dolan was only raking in sixty or seventy grand a year, which still, if you don't have debt, and back then, if you're living in Cash Valley, is fine. Yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting that Dylan apparently told the board not to give him another raise. Like he just said, they've set my salary generously at a fixed level, one matching what he earned when he was an executive at Microsoft 17 years ago before he walked away from that. I don't know. Maybe so. Yeah. Who knows? So like, yeah, I, I people get all like in a huff about this kind of stuff. There are some people, they have whistle, a whistleblower claim that does say that Dylan had kind of patted the board with people who would ensure he got paid more handsomely uh, than perhaps he deserves or that Dylan maintained, as the Trib says, inadequate boundaries between donations to the podcast and Dylan's own life coaching business and that Dylan sort of blurs the line between personal and professional expenses. Those things are worth considering, but those are things you have to oh, sort yeah. out internally as an organization and it's a board's job to keep tabs on that and see if there is malfeasance or not. Yeah, that, that can really come back to to bite an organization and the people behind it because the, the uh, IRS says it's not really a nonprofit because those things are too blurry. It's really problematic. I just still so can't hope, forget hope that time I saw John Dolan posting somewhere that like he was going to be flying down to record somebody for his podcast. Like, I don't know, he was flying down to California from Utah or something like that. And he was begging people to pay for him to upgrade to first class. <laughs> and I was like this, it reeked of like the Kate Kelly laptop thing when Kate Kelly needed everyone to pitch in to buy her a laptop. And I was just like, dude, just buy your own laptop. Just yeah. upgrade your own ticket. Yeah. yeah. This just seemed weird to me, but oh, well, it's fine. I don't know. It doesn't bug me much. I don't really care. Good for you, John. Yep. So uh, at Roots Tech last week, the uh, church announced that it was uh, bringing together a couple of different databases and merging them into one. Okay. This is kind of a technical thing because it doesn't mean there's any new data, but I do a little bit of family history. I'm pretty regular. I'm pretty avid. And, uh, you know, when you can search one place instead of two places, life is much better, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I would love if you could do all the searching in exactly one place. And all I think right. we're headed toward that, uh, for a variety of reasons. And this is just another step. So this is good. So it merged the, let me be clear about it. It's the pioneer database and the missionary database. And I think they now do called the church history too, right? biographical database. Okay. So. And I think in looking at this was the issue. I think that they were just created at different times in history. So they function independently. That makes sense. Yeah. Put it all into yeah. one house. I mean, yeah. the, the guy that now serves as the, um, Church historian and recorder is a guy named uh, Legrand Curtis. Yes, and uh, yeah, I, I am interested in that a little bit because I know him just a little bit. He's an extraordinary guy, very very kind man. Uh, really admire him. Not something people will say about me when I pass. <laughs> no, that's not true. Unfortunately, sure it's not true. A couple of quick it. ones here for you. This one's funny. I know this is not a new thing per se, but I was drawn to it in this past week. And it was uh, someone shared a new type of sign that was in front of a church building. You know, you know, in most of our church buildings, we have that classic. Yeah. The, the church logo often kind of inset into some kind of stone looking plaque out front. Not the one that's just on the building, but, you know, out like on the street level to indicate what's going on. Maybe sort of framed by some brick, whatever you want. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In Gilbert, Arizona, they have a big blue billboardish thing out front that says, All are welcome. It has a very artsy-looking image of the Savior. The meeting time starts, and then it just says churchofjesuschrist.org. 
That is all it says to indicate where you are. I think this is very interesting. I mean, it is correct we are the Church of Jesus Christ. It's true. Uh, the Latter-day Saints part, you know, is specified in the Doctrine and Covenants for a reason. But I also think, wonder, for me, this this feels like very like evangelical to me personally. This feels very it's like generic something Bible church, all are welcome, like that kind of deal, yeah, right? Yeah. And that is not knocking the people of those faiths. That's just like what I've seen aesthetically in terms of other religions. And I think we're very locked in as Latter-day Saints into the 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 design language, the way we present that. So anything new can seem jarring. You know, I I, I remember some hubbub back in what was it, the early nineties when they moved away from the kind of staggered logo that had everything the same size and tried to you know, focus, make it a little bit more evenly linear and focus it more on the savior. People took note of that. But this one is very interesting because it's not the church's official logo, of course. Right. But Which is the uh, logo. I'm not sure. What do they call it? Oh, they call it the symbol. symbol. Right? I think you're which right. Has I think the, it's which, a has, which has the logo type and then that picture of the savior above it. Yeah. So I, I guess, I don't know. My feelings of this are, I, I just... I, I have broader concerns that I think as a church, we're kind of getting more and more vaguely anonymously Christian on purpose. And I, part of me, I like being more included, but I also kind of dislike that. I feel like we're losing some of our peculiarity and I worry about it's just getting sort of lost in the rest of mainstream Christianity. I don't think we have to worry too much about being, losing our peculiarity. Oh no, Devin, it's gone, man. (laughs) Just me, just me. But I, I don't think we're at too much risk of that. Uh, yeah. What do we think about the fact that uh, it's not the correct name of the church, given everything we yeah, hear in general no, conference? I, do you think this is a sign that a ward made or a stake made, or do you think the church did this? We post. I, I posted this on our Instagram, and people commented and said these are all over Arizona, okay. in parts of Arizona. So I want to think the church did it. So and I would. This I, is- I would be, and, and wards like really go rogue like that. Like I've proposed putting signs up and stuff here and there, and people are very reticent to put any sign yeah. except for that official plaque out front in our churches. Unlike a lot of other churches, but we just don't do it. No, that's right. You know, the the, the classic church sign with the little reader board that changes every week, not going to happen at a Mormon New. church anytime soon because President Nelson's too busy to approve all of those each week. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I'm curious about this. It, it appears to me that, that this is not the sign of the church, right? That a sign that says, you know, this is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is still emblazoned on the building somewhere. This is more an out front sign, it looks to me, right? Uh, that is intended to say, come visit us. Uh, you're welcome here. And it has the church times, and then it just has the, the URL for the church so people can check it out. So I don't think it's intended to be the sign. It's intended to be an invitation in addition mm. to the mm. sign. And this one also appears to me, uh, it's a very nice sign for a temporary sign. And I suspect that it is uh, there as a test uh, to see if it does anything. Right? Does it increase attendance? Does it uh, uh, improve baptisms and that kind of thing? Uh, and we'll, you know, if it works, uh, we'll all have one of these. That sign alone will increase baptisms. <laughs> well, you know, if you had one in front of every building, uh, you could you could do some uh, data analysis and figure that out. Oh yeah, that'd be wild. I got to look up where this one is on Google Maps. Anyway, it's not a big deal, but I thought it was interesting. That's yeah, all. it is kind of interesting for sure. So um, let's see. I wanted to just talk about uh, the passing of uh, Sister Packer, Donna Smith Packer, who was President Packer's wife. Okay. Died. Uh, you know, this you know, one of those things I hate to admit that I'd lost track of the fact that she was still alive. He, he died so, so many years ago. Uh, she was 94, uh, and she was, uh, of course, uh, famous for her love of family history work and uh, a big family. Uh, so uh, it is uh, certainly it's it's hard to call it a shame, uh, given that uh, you know she's with uh, the life love of her life again uh, after having been separated for almost seven years. It's been that uh, long, man. Since Packer, wow! It it, it is remarkable. Since Elder Packer passed away, 
Yeah, hard to believe that, isn't it? But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is well worth our time to pause and acknowledge that, that she has passed after her decades of service in the church. There we go. Well, not to be glib, but here's a uh, an article. I think you appreciate this one too, Devin. Uh, from LDS Living. Membership has its privileges. 38 benefits of church membership we may not think about. And I can't help but read this. I'm like, is this a... Uh, like, is this like a Costco situation? Like what, like yeah. what are the perks? I'm getting perks now. I don't, it's fine. It's fine. Um, and it's funny because it even talks about like an old American express campaign that was all about like the privileges. Right. And so apparently yeah. they, they do tell the story about a, um, a member, Gordon Bowen, member of the church who actually pitched the church sort of using this language and actually saying they, the rumor is that he actually pitched it to the church to say, use it as, he used it for American Express to pitch it to the church and say, like, say, membership has its privileges. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, many of these I uh, agree with. I just feel like this is a, it's just kind of a bizarre article. But, uh, yeah. but things, things I agree with, right? Like you discover new talents. You connect with people like, like President Oaks talked about in his last conference talk about the need for a church. Like you connect with people from different backgrounds because wards are based on where you live and then that's it. And so you yeah. work with and collaborate with people that you might not associate with otherwise in your work and personal life. That's great. You can build leadership skills. And then some of the smaller ones here, and a lot of these came from replies she had, by the way, on Twitter. So it's meant to be humorous in some ways, but like, oh, you know, work ethic, no money spent on alcohol, tobacco, and gambling. Um Mentor figures, emphasis on family, access to a free basketball court, a free wedding venue, and gorgeous location. I don't think many regard the stake center as a gorgeous location. I mean, there's a couple, you know, isolated <laughs> well, buildings is that she are thinking in very... about the temple. Oh, you're so smart. Look at you go. See, I was just thinking about the, you know, you know. Yeah. The... You know, that's the thing with this article. Uh, I have to admit, I'm, I, I, I'm a little offended by the premise. <laughs> uh, that one would be so glib as to talk about membership having its privileges. It sounds elitist in its tone, uh, uh, exclusive, uh, condescending, unnerving. Uh, but there's not one item on the list that I didn't agree with was something we get from our membership. But, uh, you know, the, it, it isn't about that. Uh, I would frankly call on LDS Living to, to do better. Uh, you know, the, the gospel is about the atonement of Jesus Christ and drawing us nearer to that. It's not about having a bunch of benefits. You know, we didn't join so that we could uh, have a cheap wedding venue. Uh, and I'm, I'm just it's a little offensive ahead. to me to even talk about it in those terms. I, All right. I mean, I was hoping they'd give us like airport lounge access or something. <laughs> but that's yet to materialize, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I should be more patient with. Okay. I'm going to give you one other one that I think you'll enjoy a little bit more though, Devin. So this came across, this is, this is, this is, this is a game by the church in terms of um, how to advertise. This came off of Instagram. And what they did is they took an image for, that looks like it's the game Wordle that many of you know and love and worked its way. It says godly Bible, light, truth, Jesus, faith is the correct answer when you get to the end. For one, that's yes. a bad Wordle score. I mean, the very fact that you go from truth and then to then, Jesus, someone's not like, that's bad You're strategy. Well, right? That's bad. That's not a good way to play Wordle. It's, so that that very, part. I, but I think I need to part, talk to whoever did this about their their Wordle strategy. I do think clearly. this is um. I think it's yeah. pretty a game though in terms of advertising. I like. I think this yeah. is it's smart. It's in the moment. There were some that kind of cracked up that they said. I know I'm overanalyzing this, but I can't help but see how ironic it is that the words "godly" and "Jesus" have no letter hits in the correct. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I, I get, the, but this yeah. is the cut. This is the "Come Unto Christ" uh, Instagram account. You can go find that one, and I, I, yeah. I just want to tip my hat. I think this is pretty clever, even with even with that little joke there about the fact that "godly" and "Jesus" aren't represented yeah. on it. But uh, I like that. I like that they can pull that out. I think whoever came up with that deserves yeah. a commendation. And, you know, it, it is very timely. I am unnerved by the fact that they, they play to you after they play to you that wasn't in there. And it just, you just wouldn't do that. It's a little weird. It's not the way you play the game. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm so stressed by two, wasting two, uh, you know, testing B twice on the second line. 
just wouldn't do that. Why would you do this? Such bad wordle play. Such bad oh. wordle play. Still, I th- your your point is well made. Very clever ad. I'm also surprised the final answer was not Jesus and it was something else. Just thought, yeah. you know, interesting, but yes, it was good. good uh, job, you know, faith would m- more likely, especially with these letters, would have been caught by the fourth or fifth at the latest. Uh, but Jesus could have gone. Uh, to the fifth, because having two S's is actually going to throw you off mm-hmm. if you play Wordle, right? Oh yeah, it's hard. Oh yeah, there's a second copy of one letter because you don't go there. Oh yeah, you don't go there. It's a mess. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I bet Jesus is not a a word uh, in Wordle. Sometimes I know the New York. Yeah, York I don't think they play uh, proper names, uh, so oh, it probably isn't in there. But it would be a tough one to get. There we go. It, tough, tough wordle. All right. Anything else you want to hit on, Devin? No, I think we've had a, a good run. Ending on wordle you, you is you don't very want to talk appropriate in my mind. I love Donald wordle, Duck so. conducting the Tabernacle Choir. I mean, what a what a moment! <laughs> now a that moment was a long them. time ago. What 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 caused you to think about this again? It's oh just no, been... they sh- they shared it last week as a kind of hey, remember when? Oh, in when Donald yeah, when someone when Donald Duck conducted zippity doodah during a rehearsal in the tabernacle choir funny things in to think Mar- about there obviously March zippity- 1988 yeah obviously zippity doodah comes from the racist film song of the south so it's funny to bring that one up um yeah. but it's a cute song um also who was the donald duck who was in there conducting i have it on good authority it was danny ainge no way no i'm kidding i don't know who it was oh <laughs> It, it was Ezra Taft Benson. It was President Nelson. He was in the twelve by then. Yeah, he was. He was. He's the, he is the masked conductor. The new uh, the new show on Fox. Yeah, <laughs> the masked yeah. conductor. Yeah. That'll be pretty good. All righty, uh, this has been a good week, everybody. Thanks for just taking the time to sit with us. Thanks for humoring me sincerely on um, Ukraine stuff. I can I can run off on this. It's been very top I mean, of my mind more... the past little bit so it's like truly like i know maybe it can be a lot but i appreciate all you taking the time to listen to that and think about it and hopefully there can be a resolve to the situation there a resolve no, let's let's mean, pray resolve doesn't mean capitulate and give me your country but like something you know more reasonable like coexistence for example well uh, yeah like how about they leave yeah let them be oh the hilarious thing was i found a i i put a, a facebook status up from eight years ago because when I lived in Ukraine, we did a I did a public opinion research poll of people there, and this was 2006, wake of the first Orange Revolution, and we were gauging like feelings about relationships with Russia, with the EU, with NATO, and quantified all that. Wrote a great report, very interesting. I enjoyed myself quite a bit. And here's an actual respondent who says, "We can't live without Russia, but I hope we don't have to grow closer to them. Our visions for the future are different. They don't respect our rights and laws, and never will." Russia will always have the tendency to be an empire and not just a friendly neighbor. And this was in 2006 mm-hmm. before much of what has precipitated the current crisis yeah. even happened. So it, that's it, popped it's, up in my feet. It's tragic. Right. I hate that fatalistic tone that that Russia can't change uh, because uh, I've been Rocky there. Rocky Ford taught us that we can yeah. change. He can change. I, I can change. You can I change. I was there in 14, 13 and 14 or 14 and 15. I went back to back years to speak at conferences. So, you know, this was during the Crimea time. And it was interesting. The people I talked to were embarrassed and sad about what happened in Crimea. They didn't support it. Uh, I was there and uh, there were uh, all kinds of subtle protests going on all over the place. Yeah. Uh, I really believe the people of Russia are extraordinarily good people. Uh, and I sure. think that's why the church is so committed to, to Russia. It's not the, uh, you know, Putin is a problem and the, the government and its legacy is, is a mess and has been for what now, at least a century plus, but uh, the people are good. I, I just want to believe that one day they'll be governed by good people and uh, they can be our friends in the fullest sense of that word. Uh, yeah. Think about, we, we, how, think about how much things have changed in our relationship with Japan and how quickly they changed after World War II. Um, and a lot know, of that it's was hard to imagine of... people that hated each other more than Americans and Japanese people. And we are as close a- allies today as there are just about. 
and likewise with Germany. You know, I mean, the Marshall Plan yeah. had a lot to do with a lot of rebuilding Europe, for one. But yeah. we took a point of view of let's not just vanquish the losers. Let's try to rebuild in a more positive way. Yeah. Cold War was just different because there wasn't like rubble to build out of. There was just a fall in Soviet Union. I think we kind of dunked on that a little bit in the mid 90s because it's like, hey, like, cool, the West won. Like, communism fell. Good for yeah. us. And we were excited about maybe a Russia who we could get along with. And then, a, and Yeltsin was pretty much on board with that. But Yeltsin was also a little bit of a buffoon. And he and then, was. And then, a, you know, a kind hearted buffoon. And uh, then Putin was a different beast who uh, we've all underestimated. I mean, if you, yeah, there's, we did. There's, this came out from the Russian embassy from uh, Sergei Lavrov, who's their foreign minister, like their secretary of state equivalent. And he said, this is an actual line. The goal of Russia's special military operation is to stop any war that could take place on Ukrainian territory or that could start from there. That's why they're doing this. So there won't be a war in Ukraine. <laughs> so that's fun, everybody. Yeah, um, yeah. We feel for someone in church actually yesterday, and I didn't know if this was like a slip or not. But they said the opening prayer and they prayed for the saints of Russia. And at first I was like, do they mean to say Ukraine? And they just kind of said the wrong thing. But maybe they didn't. Right. And that's another yeah. thing we should be considering, too. We care a lot about Ukraine, but like yeah, pray for the saints in Russia, too. And pray yeah. for the people of Russia and what's going on there. And, you know, there's a whole yeah, other side of the conflict where their government's doing one thing. But I'm sure a lot of the people are in as much as they can actually get the information. Right. Uh, and that Russia hasn't clamped down too hard, are horrified by what they're seeing as well. I, and, think, uh, I think you're right. Let's remember that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, well, rant over. Sorry about that, folks. So, Sorry. Uh, That's all right. Yeah, no, I think no, it's, no. It's, a, it's appropriate two, for us not to I'm let sure. this, uh, you know, we need to talk about this. these are important well, I think the listeners are thrilled. Now, now that COVID is subsiding, we have to have something that I can just rail on week in and week out. And apparently... <laughs> Apparently, it's manifested itself in terms of World War III. So that's that's really something yeah. special. Let's hope for good things. We're a month away from conference. Hopefully, I hope we'll get some good counsel there. Anyway, thanks, everyone, for your time this week. I hope you have a great week. Uh, all things go your way. We are always at your service. Whatever you need, contact at thisweekinmormons.com. Shoot us an email. Tell us how things are going. We're happy to hear from you. And hope you'll join us on social media and be part of the conversation as well. Devin, love seeing you, buddy. Honor to be here with you. Thank you very much for having me. It's nice to have you. So until we meet again, everyone, it's been an episode of This Week in Mormons. I'm Jeff. That was Devin. And we hope you have a terrific week. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye.